You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Good afternoon and welcome to America's Web Radio. We're glad to have you tuned in today. And uh, a lot of you have really gotten to uh, like this show and uh, because it's so informative. It uh, lets you know what's going on and uh, from an indisputable source, you might say. We've got Agent in Charge about to start, and we've got Sandy on the line, and uh, he's he's in my home state, his home state, that's very dry right now, and uh, Texas is needing some of this Georgia rain, and we're going to try to send it over to you, Sandy. Well, I appreciate it. Yeah, it's hot and dry. This is we're, we're, you know, for most of the state right now, we're having record highs. It's hard to believe in Texas, you know. And if it's like you're saying, I think that your place up in the Panhandle was 109. We had 109 down here. My old home of uh, Del Rio, where it would stay over 105 degrees for four or five months out of the year, they're up in 111, 112 in that area. So, yeah. Wow. Uh, any of you uh, rain dancers or prayers out there, if you can send some our way, we'd definitely appreciate it. <laughs> You know, unfortunately, the wind blows the wrong direction, I think. Uh, and generally, we get, in Atlanta, we get Texas weather about two days, three days after you all get it. So hopefully we right, won't right. get any of the 109 stuff over here. But uh, And we've we've had a lot of, uh, not a lot, but we, we've had our, certainly our fair share of rain. It's been one of the old-timey years when uh, you could almost set your clock at about 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock in the afternoon. We'd get a shower, and then it'd be gone. Wow. We'd get a shower, uh, then it'd be gone. <laughs> you know, it used to be that way here in South Texas where we are. When we first started ranching, we had one year that was uh, that was pretty hot, but, you know, and, and not, not a lot of rain. And But most years after that, uh, you know, for the first seven or eight years, we're, uh, we were real wet, made a lot of hay, and, and had good years. And we seem to be getting into that. I can't remember which one is the dry one, El Nino or Nino, but... But one of the uh, we're in a that high pressure area right now zone where where we're just not getting anything and mm. uh, so uh, yeah it's it's tough but like I can say I, I guess if ranching was easy everybody'd be doing it right <laughs> that's right but uh, you know I have no pride the folks that are listening say a little prayer for the folks out in Texas to get some rain and uh, yeah, with that said we probably need to say a big prayer for uh, New York and. Uh, I think the crime rate is up a hundred and some odd percent since uh, they declared the cops couldn't do anything and they're going to defund and they're going to do this and do that. And, uh, you know, as I've, well, as we've been doing the show, different shows on, on America's Web Radio, you know, there's always, and, and like one of our guys used to say, uh, being a scam artist or being a crook, that's their business, and they're damn good at it. And, uh, you know, just like I work hard, you work hard, Sandy, and and uh, legitimate folks work hard to make a living. Well, crooks and scam artists, they work hard to make their living illegally. And, uh, you know, all of these uh, robberies in uh, New York and... Uh, and all of the whole, you know, all of the stuff that's going on, and this, the, the idiots that want to defund the police, they're the ones that should be yelling, "Let's give them, let's give the cops more." So, right with that, and it, 
Yeah, you hit the nail right on the head. I mean, it's uh, in all you cities out there where you have uh, these similar type of mayors and, and policies now coming into play. Get ready and get used to this because this is the way your life's going to be. Because, you know, thinking about the NYPD, if they are one of the uh, one of the premier law enforcement uh, uh, city police, you know, city police uh, agencies in the country, and so uh, you know they're, they're known for their professionalism and their excellent training and their excellent pay and benefits. And, and uh, but the thing is, they're afraid to you know they don't want to respond anymore because every time they show up at a crime scene, bad things happen. And so uh, you can't blame them. And uh, so, but like I say, the only and you say, what can we do about this? Well, the thing is, just remember, uh, you know, if the polls are coming up this November, get those folks out of the office that aren't, that aren't going to do anything for you and put people in there who are willing to fight for you. And so it is a shame because, yeah, when I was up in that area in the Northeast, uh, uh, New York was under control then. And, uh, and it was shortly after, uh, I'm sorry, who was the mayor? Uh, Giuliani? The, uh, Giuliani, yes, I'm sorry, a senior moment there. But he did an excellent job of, of getting uh, the streets safe, and, and uh, you know you can go anywhere in New York and you never had to worry. And uh, unfortunately, it's getting to be more like Baltimore now. And as far as you know, there are shootings and everything is up. And, and uh, so yeah, so that's what I'm saying. I mean, just get used to it. If you're not going to do anything about it at the polls, and just get used to it because it's only going to get worse. You know, Sandy, so, I you listen to the. Well, it's not news, fake news or opinions, whatever you want to call it these days. It's not, uh, it's not news, right. that's for sure. But well, you, 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 you know my opinion on the news today, and I say I have a degree in journalism. But go ahead, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but the the kicker is the one thing that you're not hearing. You're hearing some's bad, some's worse about the cops, and they've taken off and they're not responding or whatever that happens to be, which. I don't blame the cops at all. I, you know, for no matter what they get paid, like you said, when they roll up, it was when I was an EMT, we had some areas that we wouldn't go into until we knew that the police were already there. And, uh, you know, I just, that that's the way it was, and that's probably the way it still is. But with all of that being said, and I may have missed something. I, I'm, I don't watch TV 24-7 by any means or the news 24-7. But at the same token... Yes, I can it. <laughs> yeah, I tried. But the one thing that I haven't heard anything about on the, on the so-called news is what this is doing to New York's economy. My God, I, I, Brett and I were talking before, before you called, and uh, I told him, I said, you know... You couldn't pay me to go to New York right now. I have, right. you know, it's just, it's a danger zone. And and even if I could carry there, which you can't, uh, I'd still be hesitant about going, but I'd feel more comfortable if I had my pistol on me. And, uh, you know, it's sort of like the old, uh, 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 how... Uh, Oh, the Gator guy from Australia. Um, you know when he when somebody pulls a knife and he said, "You call that a knife," and he pulls out a oh, machete. Yeah. You know? Crocodile Dundee, Crocodile Dundee, my Croc- hero. Yeah, <laughs> I love those series, those two movies. But anyway, you call that a knife? Now here's a knife, and um, <laughs> yeah. that's what I'd like to do. You know, 
You call that a pistol? Well, now here's a pistol, and pull out an AR-15 and blow them away. But anyway. Yeah, well, uh, the, yeah, the shame is, like I say, is that, uh, and that's why not only is it going to be unsafe for the residents of these cities, I mean, it's just going to get worse. I mean, the revenue is going to go down. We discussed that at an earlier uh, show we we did here, Agent Charge Show. We talked about, and I use San Antonio, which is I'm familiar with their police department and all, and, and uh, did some numbers on it and looked at how much they spend on them and, and, uh, and how much the city takes in. And like we talked about, I mean, especially New York, I mean, I don't know what they're, I would have to research it, but I'm sure that the money that they make off of tourism is unbelievable. Because everybody wants to go see New York. Everybody in the world wants to go see New York. You know, it's sure. in every movie that, you know, probably every third movie, there's a New York scene in there. And so, but it's gonna, like you said, I mean, if it's not safe, nobody's gonna go. No. And uh, so everybody needs to remember that. I mean, when they say it, it all comes down, I mean, all these people sitting in office were elected and put in those positions. Okay. And so if you want your city to keep going down this, uh, this, uh, this, faster and faster descending hillside keep voting those people back in office you know and I'm, I'm not saying that as a Democrat or Republican I'm, I'm astounded that that's some of the spineless uh, uh, Republicans right now that won't do anything about this they just sit on their hands and keep their mouth shut and nobody does anything well, you know, everybody's afraid to, uh, to take a stand you know, so a, if you have people like that in office get them out it's a deal of uh, you hired them when you voted for them you can fire them when you don't vote them, vote for them, exactly, and get somebody yeah, else. Yeah. And they, and they, you yeah. know, the, we all, everybody, you know, politician, and and he got so many votes. That, you know, we ought to really look at it more like we hired them and we can fire them and right. fire them. Right, right. You get them out of there. Like I say, get somebody in there who's, who's not going to just go in there and try to. Uh, you know, pave the way for them to make more money in the future and and pacify you know uh, every angle of the constituency of in, the, in their area. I mean, get somebody in there that really is going to take a stand and do what's right for the people for a change. And, and get so, I think we're going. I'm, I'm hoping and I'm thinking. I'm, I'm predicting we're going to see a lot of that in this next election because I mean, a lot of these, uh, for lack of a better term, these wussy politicians that won't do anything, you know, they're going to find themselves without a job. Without even, I'm, I'm predicting that because I just have heard and seen the people, talk people around the country that are sick and tired of that. Oh, yeah. So, uh, every, uh, you, know, you know, this so, is a common denominator across the, I can't speak for the world, but across the country, everybody is tired of it. And what is right. that? It is our political, our politicians be it in the state, be it in the house, be it in whatever, they're tired of not getting anything done. And right, Congress right. has been the biggest mess up I've ever seen. They have done nothing. And uh, well, we just this this having people up on up on the hill for thirty or forty years. That Trump is correct about one thing: we need we need term limits on elected politicians and. Uh, there's no reason anybody should be up there for 30 or 40 years. No. And, you know, Thomas Jefferson said that, you know, anybody who's, you know, his opinion was that, uh, that anyone who, uh, vol- or is elected to public office should not serve more than 10 years. He said, uh, he said everybody needs to, he said 10 years is long enough for anyone and it should not be a career. It should be a service to your country. And I agree. Oh, yeah. And well so, done. So I just, and, and so if I, 
If I have one, that's my one criticism about the Constitution is that they didn't put term limits in. I don't think they ever, because of the, it was a, a hassle to get up there. It was a hassle to leave your farm. It was a hassle right. to leave your business. So, oh, nobody in their right mind would want to do this more than one or two terms. Wrong. And there, and there, and there, 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 there was no money in it back then. No. <laughs> I mean, because you think about it, I mean, they wanted to get back out to their, their businesses and their farms and their their uh, their homes because they had to make a living, you know. And so there was not the, uh, I don't I can't remember what the uh, congressman makes now. I think it's over $200,000 oh, yeah. a year. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, it, and, and, and that's just, that's, that's, a, the, that, that's just the bottom. That's above the <laughs> table. That doesn't include what's under the table. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah, I mean, wherever they that's what they make on on other deals, I mean, that's where they really get their big money. So, it, it is yeah, amazing. So. It is amazing. Somebody can go to D.C. as the low end of the totem pole representative broke and come out a multi multi millionaire. And they all do. And they all do. They all, Amen. They all do. So yeah. So anyway. So well. Uh, Along a uh, a little bit uh, different note today, I mean, I know we we usually start out talking about politics and different things that are going on, and you know, not so much politics. It's just you know what's what's going on, and we uh, you know the uh, the riots and all this different stuff. And there's been you know a lot of uh, uh, you know the police law enforcement throughout the United States and all over the world. I mean, they always gather a lot of attention, but uh, they've been under a microscope. Uh, for you know several months now, and uh, so rather than just kind of keep jumping on that, I thought what I thought would be kind of fun to do today, and, and uh, I think a lot of people will like this. Let's talk today about you know uh, the movies and the television. Let's talk about what is real in the police and crime world, and what is myth and fiction, and 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 uh, and whatever Hollywood decides to put in there. So you know, and, and so. And, I, and uh, I'll start out by saying this. It was, it's always kind of funny because our, our training academy, which is in your state of Georgia there, Dave, that's over in Brunswick, uh, the Homeland Security Training Camp, part of it's there. I mean, the training academy is there. I think the Border Patrol does most of their training now up in Semi-Dover in Artesia, New Mexico. And uh, But our all the Homeland Security investigation training is done there, and a lot of the uh, uh, CBP uh, uniform uh, division training is done there. When I went through, it was it was, it was U.S. Customs, of course, and, and uh, but uh, it, we would laugh because when we get new trainees in there, and uh, we would first start, you know, of course, we you start shooting the first week, you know, a lot of people have never even have, have never fired a handgun or a rifle or whatever, and so uh, so we start out with with the basics, you know, and that, and people are shooting in that first week, and then we start doing, uh, uh, you know, mock raids where they, they it's, it's a neat academy. It was a uh, formal naval, uh, I believe it was an air training station. It was the Navy Air Base there in Brunswick that they converted into the, uh, what they call Federal Law Enforcement Training Center, FLETSI. And, uh, but, uh, when we see these guys, when they start doing their first raids, if they had their first little block of instruction, they would, they would, they would enter these houses and, uh, there's a bunch of old officers quarters on the base that they, we turned into, or that we, yeah, we turned into, uh, you know, uh, scenario houses with furniture and stuff so that we go in there and there's you know you have role players in there and in different situations they have to react to but it's funny because the first several times they go into the house they're doing exactly what they saw people do on television <laughs> 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 so, that's what that's what they're great in their heads you know they go in there with their 
with your with two hands on their gun and pointed up at the ceiling like you're like you're duck hunting and and then some guys will have their their gun stuck way out there in front of them and of course anybody that's ever done that you know been on these search warrants and that type of of uh of uh operation you know that's the last thing you ever want to do is have your gun stuck way out front of you want it close to your chest so the bad guy if you come around a corner he can't grab your gun away from you and so you know there's a lot of that uh the 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 myth and the, the reality that we're going to talk about today, and, and be free, feel free, of course, always ask questions because that's where we get into our our uh, most enlightened. Because a lot of the stuff I assume people know, and uh, just because I did this for the years, and a lot, and then you know, you point out things that I that I, that I, I just didn't realize I needed to cover. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, so anyways, so I, I will start out with the obvious, and uh, because you know everybody thinks that every police operation ends in a gunfight. It ends in a violent confrontation because that's what you see on television, and uh, and that's not true. I mean, the majority of, of encounters that that uh, police officers and special agents get involved in end, uh, end peacefully, and and even if people end up going to jail. But just you know, just uh, but this is why always the questions that come to me from people that that uh, I've known over the years, and and just in the, understand one thing now: when there is a true gunfight, okay, when the when the bullets really start flying and stress at that level, when somebody would rather try to kill you than go to jail, then uh, the thing you got to know about a gunfight is that they're extremely, extremely loud, okay. And, and unless you've ever, if you haven't been around firearms very much, I mean, the first time that's always the first thing that shocks someone is if you ever shoot without ear protection, you should always wear ear protection because you will lose your hearing, which which I have lost amount of my hearing through the years just being involved with all the firearms and, and the, the training and the, the firefights and that type of stuff but uh, they're extremely loud and one of the first thing that will happen is when you pull the trigger on anything 9 millimeter and up I mean your ears will start ringing okay you never see that in the movies and because nobody really they I guess they, they think that you know that uh, that the guns are quieter in a situation such as that, <laughs> and uh, but extremely loud. And then you you get inside a building where most of the action takes place, so the search warrant or who would arrest someone, it even amplifies it more because now you have all that sound trapped in the building with you. And so, uh, fortunately, through you know we have learned through time that we go in now now that they have the uh, the uh, electronic. Uh, uh, Earphones or earmuffs, as you want to call them. I mean, we started wearing those several years back because we can still talk. And when you shoot, I mean, they're electronically set up so that once you reach over a certain decibel, it shuts that sound out, but you still can communicate. And so, you know, there was a big uh, discussion several years ago that perhaps we should, you know, instead of going with uh, the earphones, just equip everybody with a uh, with silencers for their weapons. And I and I I agree on both. Most police officers and agents don't have silencers. They're only used by special teams. And uh, but uh, we decided to. But after we you know, we studied it and we worked on it, and we decided that probably the best way to go is, is when we go into a certain work. And if you do have to shoot, you want to create chaos among those who you're trying to apprehend. And uh, the blast does. And so it, it, we figured out it was better for us to not hear the sound and let them hear it to create chaos, so we can get the situation over quicker. So most teams right now, most agents when they go on a search warrant, you know, they use a, uh, a set of electronic earphones that that was once a certain that less will I can't remember what decibel it is, but but when a gun is shot nine millimeter, nine millimeter or above, they shut that sound out. So they're pretty cool. If you don't if you don't have some, they're not that expensive anymore. You should get a pair if you shoot a lot. And and the second thing is about gunfights, they only last a few seconds. I mean, I've 
I know there was that one gunfight several years ago in Los Angeles where the two guys, uh, or the three guys, I believe it was, they robbed the bank and they were wearing body armor from head to toe. And they shot it out with the cops there in L.A. for 15, 20 minutes. That's extremely rare. Okay, extremely rare. Most gunfights last probably less than four seconds. And because, you know, everybody pulls and now with automatic weapons, I mean, you'd just be you be amazed how fast you can uh, unload a magazine in a, in, a, in a heated firefight. And so so the reality is you don't have a lot of dramatic firefights. They're over in a matter of seconds, and they're, they're chaotic and extremely loud. <laughs> so any question on that? No, I, I think this is, uh, you know, you're speaking reality, and most most folks hopefully will never be in a firefight and um you know there's no everybody you know and and tv has dramatized it and made it uh you know looks i don't know i don't want to say that fun but at the same token they've uh, uh romanticized i guess that's the word that i'm looking for in some ways or right. sometimes and i remember the uh uh, the firefight they had in in L.A. and uh, uh, the cops drove up and uh, unfortunately didn't realize that they were driving into AR-15s. And uh, right. most of the time, or back back when, most bad guys didn't have AR-15s or anything similar to it. Uh, right. But now and today. Uh, the bad guy can be as well equipped as the uh, good guy, and uh, oh yeah, and, they, and that, that that situation two two situations. I can't remember what year it was. I know the FBI got into a similar firefight with a couple of uh, guys. They had warrants for it. I think it was somewhere down there in Florida, if I remember right. And uh, I, have to, I have to look it up. But there was a one of the uh, one of the uh, uh, people they were fighting with had a, had a mini fourteen rifle. Which is one of my favorites. I, I love that old grand style gun. They just they shoot forever and they don't jam and they're you know pretty accurate. And but anyway, despite that, I mean they uh, they found out real quick that their five shot revolvers and little nine millimeter pistols were nothing to compare with a a, a weapon semi automatic weapon of that caliber that ability. And so and then this really this incident in Los Angeles really drove home the fact that hey. All police officers need to have a, uh, uh, a multi uh, uh, a multi round weapon, semi automatic that, that's reliable. Such as an M, we we call them M4s. We had M4s in the Steyr Augs when I was uh, during my time, and at the game warden I had the Mini 14. But then, thanks to those two situations, I mean the, the police officers were a lot better uh, equipped as far as firearms went. So everybody started. Everybody really increased their budgets to get a. Not only a, uh, a a good semi-automatic or fully automatic weapons to, to fight with, uh, also you know the training that goes with them. So that was uh, I won't say it was a good thing, but it definitely made us all wake up and, and reassess you know what we're doing out there on the streets. You know, uh, and, you know, uh, you, you look at it like the military. You want to be in the military that's the best armed and best equipped and best trained. Whereas, and you always want the enemy less than you, no matter what the less right. is, be it in training or be it in equipment or whatever. And the and the uh, police are the same way. They, you know, my gosh, I, I wouldn't want to send anybody into a situation where they were over, overpowered by weaponry or overpowered by manpower. You know, and uh, like right. you, like you right. said one time. 
uh, this stuff of one guy taking out six guys that are, are swinging bats at him and trying to kill him, that ain't going to happen. <laughs> one, you know, I don't care how many judo lessons or karate lessons you've had. Um, six against one is not a good odd. And uh, reality. That's all. That's all. That's all. That's all reality. I had to. I had a young bull yesterday that uh, I thought at first he was sick. It was real hot. I was the pasture, and I got a friend of ours to come help me uh, get him up to the pen so we could see what was wrong with him. As we got to start driving across the field, I realized you know he had a front leg that was swollen, and, and this one guy was—he's a really good cowboy. He's been around for years. Got him up there into the squeeze and looked at him. He said, "Man," he said, "He said uh, this uh, this little bull here." I said. Uh, Something got him in the shoulder too, and he said. Uh, and I told him, I said, "Well, I, said, I got an idea what happened." He goes, "What's that?" I said, "I'm sure one of those bigger bulls decided it wasn't his time to, to do his thing, and so he put him in his place." <laughs> <laughs> he said, "Probably." I said, "That's just a bad." I said, "But his son's there, he's 15." And I said, "I told him, I said, but it, that, that's just the reality of life, right there, you know." I said, "It's not like the, the movies are nothing like reality, you know." And uh, so. Uh, but anyway, along that same line, and I don't want to spend a lot of time on this because, you know, you can read and research this all you want, and, and I don't like talking a lot about the violence, and we can cover it at some other point. And everybody that is in our profession at some point or another, you were involved in some type of violent conversation. If you weren't, and then then you weren't doing the job. You were probably sitting by the desk all the time, and, and you were never out there doing what the taxpayers' pages do. But when a person does get shot, okay, and it happens on a regular basis now with all the uh, all the uh, hysteria and, and the uh, ill will towards the police, you know. When a person does get shot, unlike the movies, they don't fly across the room. Even if you shoot them with a 12-gauge shotgun, they don't fly across the room. They don't go 10 feet off the ground. They they crumple and fall straight down, okay? Because once you, once you disconnect the computer or whatever way you do with the bullet, I mean, the, the, the person, you know, when they're shot... There, it's not dramatic. It's not a beautiful thing. It's a very ugly scene situation, and the person falls straight, falls just right in his tracks. That's why. So you know, that's one of the first things that that uh, uh, when there is a shooting, uh, and there's all shootings are investigated, and when there is a shooting, that's one of the first things that the investigators will look at is you know the position of the body because it didn't move because nobody moved it physically after the, the person was shot. Then it's going to be right where it was, and then you look at where the uh, the, the casings were to whoever shot the person, and you know, that that's where you start. That's where you start your investigation on in a shooting case. And uh, but it's not a pretty sight. And death in these being shot. There's nothing dramatic about it. There's no glamour into it. There's no glory. It's very horrific, and it, it, it affects people. And uh, it affects everyone, no matter how tough you think you are. The first time you're involved in that, it's going to affect you, and it affects you every time. And, uh, and, uh, and, you know, even, and even after, you know, say you arrive there after the shooting and the, and the, you just have bodies laying there, that affects you as well. And so there's, there's, regardless of what you see, there's no final last words or there's no, uh, there's nothing pretty. There's, there's a lot of blood. Uh, there's a lot, once again, there's chaos. And, uh, and if you've ever seen an animal die, it's the same way people do the same thing. The biology doesn't change, so I, I won't go into a lot of detail on that. But just so you'll know, I mean, it's not like the CLTV. It's not a cool thing to go in there and start, as they say, wasting people. It's a pretty, it's, it's a, it's a heavy thing, and, and it's not pretty. So, any any questions or, or comments on that, Dave? <laughs> well, I 
quite frankly, I haven't been on that side of it, but I've been on the other side of it, going in and picking up afterwards, and uh, yeah, yeah, you know, and uh, checking to see if there's a pulse or uh, you know, and and uh, triaging on the scene and deciding, well, he's got a chance. Let's take him to the hospital. Uh, no need taking him to the hospital, and. You know, so you do your own thing. But uh, like you said, it's not, uh, I guess, from my standpoint, uh, a bullet is at least somewhat, depending on what it hits, but at least is somewhat cleaner a wound than a shotgun round. And, uh, right. you know, it, that's a shotgun is a very... And depending on what the load is, it can only get from bad to worse. So, right, um, right. You know, it's. Uh, I, I, I've got some. Oh, I'm sorry, yeah. I got some funny stories on on um, bullet wounds, but I can't really relate them on the uh, on the radio. I'd I'd be. I'm sure somebody <laughs> would get very very upset with me. But we we uh, picked up a lady one time, and she was extremely large. And um, I could see where the bullet went in, but when it hit that amount of fat, I couldn't even find. I could see where it went in her dress, but I couldn't find where it went in her body. And uh, wow, it was she was so fat she wasn't even wasn't even bleeding. And uh, wow, you know, <laughs> and but and uh, the hospital wasn't that far from from where she was shot, so. By the, you know, five minutes, six minutes, ten minutes that it took us to get her to the hospital, uh, I never did find it. And uh, couldn't do anything about wow. it anyway, so. <laughs> um, well, you know, I was, I'm a big fan of the Remington 870 shotgun, and that's what I use most of the time. You know, because, you know, we we would we'd use buckshot and slugs, and, and I didn't have a lot of training on the federal level, but I was with the Game Warden Academy, they, we got extensive training on using the 870, and. What I always like about the 870 is just the sight of it, especially when you rack the slide. That's the universal language. Nobody wanted to fight. <laughs> <laughs> so when you heard that 870 crack one in there, I mean, everybody would come out with their hands up and say, oh, hey, we're done. It's over. <laughs> you know, and whether it be out in the, the boonies or in the house, once I rack that slide, everybody knew that it was serious. And, you know, that, that's the whole idea. I mean, we didn't want to get in a fight and get anybody hurt. And no. so, and, uh, but that was the way I liked about it. It was just a, uh, it was, it was great if you, uh, Ever got in a situation where, you know, a lot of these drug smugglers would, uh, and drug uh, traffickers, they would keep, uh, you know, mean dogs, pit bulls, German shepherds in their yards. And, and a lot of times you just had to shoot your way through those dogs to get to the house. And, you know, you had to get in there. And, uh, and I, I can, I can, I can tell you that, you know, a 12 gauge with either buckshot or a slug is, is, uh, definitely a very, a very deadly weapon. And, uh, but, yeah, I won't go into a lot of detail on that, but but yeah, like I said, that's one of my favorites. Uh, the great thing about my, my little eighteen, uh, my eight seventy Remington, it had a sixteen inch barrel. It wasn't big, but it sure got a lot of respect. You know, so. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so anyway, so let's we'll get off that part, off the violent end. Unless there's anything else you want to talk about I mean, that, in regards to that, we'll kind of look at, at what you know, what you like say what is real, what's not real, and so well, the first thing that I thought about. Is that you know? Of course, I know these these uh, movies and shows. You only have a movie is what like an hour and a half long, and then a TV show you make it an hour. You have a bunch of commercials anywhere between eight to twenty commercials. I, I've never counted them, but 
But I'll tell you, a crime is not solved in one hour with eight commercials. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of commercials, Sandy, uh, let's take one, and we'll be right back with Sandy. And I, I find this very interesting. So we'll be back with more of Sandy and his stories right after this. Hi, this is Steve Ronaldo, host of the Classic Car Show on America's Web Radio. Uh, Just talking to you about anti-car insurance. I think that uh, if you're looking for the best coverage for your classic car, consider J.C. Taylor Insurance. They've been my insurer for years in this hobby and have the top rating of all of the insurance companies in the hobby. When you get ready for insurance, call J.C. Taylor or visit jctaylor.com on the Internet. In 2009, the membership organization Docs for Patient Care was founded. People all around the country wanted to participate in the efforts of this group, and they wanted to join, but they were unable to do so unless they were physicians. It's for this reason that the Docs for Patient Care Foundation was created. Now, everyone can join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. While you're at your computer, please go to www.docs4patientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docs4patientcarefoundation.org and make a tax-deductible donation and join the fight along with us. Thank you. Whether cruising the strip at a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And we're back with Agent in Charge, uh, Sandy Bostic and... Uh, we're talking about reality of TV, and I, I've got to throw in uh, the uh, video games, Sandy, and that you know right. I think I think this is helping sicken our kids even more. And that oh well, I can shoot a, I can shoot that person, and uh, two seconds later he'll just jump right up on his feet and walk away. And you know I've said I've said that for years too, and uh, it's just. Uh, there, there's nothing, you know. There's a, parents, there's nothing. There's nothing healthy, healthy about letting your kids play a game where they, where they run prostitution rings and kill police officers. You know, there's just nothing healthy about that. No, not at all. Yeah, no. And uh, you shoot somebody, and uh, two seconds later, they don't pop up on their feet and walk away either. Uh, right, right. No, that's true. That's. Yeah, I, I've said this before on this show that I always used to tell my agents there's uh, three things you can't ever get back. And the words out of your mouth, the bullets out of your gun, and the emails and text messages that you sent. Because, you know, once you pull the trigger on any three of those, I mean, it's out there forever, you know. Yep. And uh, so it's just, and there's no stopping that bullet. You know, you're not, there's no way you can, once you make that decision, there's no, there's no, there's no redos, you know. No, no, no take backs. So, but, uh, Anyway, so we were talking about, you know, legal investigations. Well, here's the reality about the investigative side of, of police work is that, you know, they don't, they don't solve these, these crimes in an hour. And, uh, and, and the thing also, and this kind of covers two points. I mean, detectives and, and special agents as well, they have, they don't just have one case they work on. They have numerous cases they work on. 
Now, as as you get close to the fruition of a case, and in particular, you know, my case when I would work big cases that involved uh, mostly uh, drug cartels or, or or weapon smuggling, and and uh, to really put together a case that would put that would take them down and put everybody in jail uh, would take about two years. It would be about you know and that was usually you know on the average. Some would be a little bit shorter, some would be a little bit longer. And, but it generally takes two years to really take down a criminal organization. And uh, depending on how big they are and how lucky you are as far as getting your information in. So, you know, of course, I know it doesn't make it for good television if, if you have to, you know, watch uh, a different episode every night, you know, once a week and, and, uh, and only get a piece of it. But that's the way it works, you know, because you, you're not only taking care of, of your, your, you know, your, your, Actually, but for lack of a better word, premier cases, your better case, I mean, you also have to work the call in to come in. And so, uh, you know, they, uh, you know, what they do depict is that the long hours that the, the police officers and the special agents work, that's true. And, uh, I used to tell my agents when they would finally get off probation that, uh, we, they'd be on probation. Well, they, they'd be on probation for three years, but they would actually be out on their own probably anywhere between six months to a year after academy. Depending on how where they progressed and, and what uh, initiative they were in, what uh, you know, uh, what skills they had acquired under the training agent, and but I would tell them, you know, when they uh, when they finished, and we decided to put them out there on their own. I'd say, okay, look, I say, I say, here's, you know, you're on your own now. I said, we're here to support you, but you're like a farmer, you know, you're what you do, uh, you know, what you do is going to be up to you. You know the job, you know what you're supposed to do. And as long as you're bringing in bacon and putting it on the table for me, you're bringing in cases, and I know you're doing the job, and I'll be your best friend, and we're going to get along well, and I'll get you whatever you need. But I also I said, if you're not putting bacon on the table, I know you're wasting my time because I know those guys that are actually putting cases on the table that I know how much time it takes to make those. And if you're not doing that, you're not putting in the time, and you're not putting in the effort. And so, uh, so yeah, so the thing is, I mean, the reality is, these guys work a lot, but it's not just on one case. Unless it's really something that that has uh, DC or headquarters, uh, special agent charge, and it has their their attention, and it's really a priority case. Occasionally, that happens where they'll say, "Hey, you just focus on this, and we're going to sign four guys to help you." Now, I've had cases like that that I worked, and I had agents who are working cases like that that I would take people off their cases to sign them that will help finish a case out, so they can get back to their cases. But the whole thing is, you know, it, it's a it's a numbers game. It's not. I mean, it's just like, you know, statistics drive everything. And your funding, our funding came from the amount of arrests and, and search warrants and seizures that we did every year. And uh, that's the way we were all graded. So, you know, you had to be a producer. So, in the, so you know, so the reality is very seldom does, does like in, what's that movie, Point Break, where you get to go out there and be a surfer and, and uh, do all this fun stuff and, and uh, you know, and, and you get to hang out and, and then do all this exciting stuff doesn't happen that way i mean nobody really has that time to work in one case <laughs> now, let me ask you sandy it, it, it's sort of like um what you were describing uh, is sort of like reading three or four books at the same time but i've got to ask you and i know that you are extremely intelligent and um you you got uh i think i think you told me one time you got 82 on your uh SIT or on your uh, IQ test or whatever, so that that puts you above some some people anyway. But no, I'm just teasing. But okay, so so you're working four different cases. Did you ever get in the situation that you said, "Oh, damn it, that was the other case"? No, all the time, all the time, and 
And, uh, and two, I mean, you get up there, and a lot of times, you know, now we were prepared going into trials. I mean, whenever you went to a trial, you were prepared. You had your facts straight. But a lot of times, we were doing what we call initial appearances of probable cause hearings. These are the preliminary hearings leading up to the trial. If you end up going to trial, if there's not a plea, plea bargain made, uh, plea agreement, uh, yes, I mean, you have to really make sure that when you got up there that you had your information right, your name's right, the date's right, because, yes, it, it, it gets all convoluted. And when you're working 60 and 70 hours a week, I mean, uh, sometimes more, you know, that, uh, you know, it, it really does get to be a, uh, 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 a, a, a brain, a, a brain uh, changer, I guess you'd say. You really got to stay on, got to stay sharp, stay on top of it, you know. And so, yes, that's your question. That has happened. Fortunately, it never happened to me on the stand. And uh, but there were times I had to stop and pause to make sure I was using the right names, the right location. You know? <laughs> hey, so, that uh, could really yeah. be uh, that could really be bad if you're undercover, couldn't it? You know, undercover is a little bit different, though. Like I say, now, there is a lot of attention put on those cases. And that's kind of a different – I'm just talking about, you know, just your basic yeah. street policing comment. Now, but, yeah, when you're under, undercover, we can, we can spend a whole uh, – we can do a whole uh, uh, program on that, and we can talk about that. And, and you know, it's, it's not it's not uh, classified information how law enforcement does undercover work now. But, yeah, but yeah, they're uh, – I mean, you really – like we talked about, the thing that would get people in trouble working undercover – Everything that comes out of your mouth is a lie, and and so the thing about lying <laughs> is that it never adds up because the facts don't add up. The lead to that lie, and so you want to get into an undercover case and get out of it as fast as you can because the more your undercover agent talks, the more chance he has of getting caught in his lie and ruining the whole the whole uh, operation and possibly get himself in, you know get himself oh, yeah. injured, and so. Uh, so yeah, so but yeah, like so we'll uh, I'll tell you that maybe maybe next program we'll talk about that. We'll, we'll get into a little more detail about working undercover and, okay. uh, and, and what it used to be and what it is today. You know, and uh, but, you know one of the things I, I get a kick out of too. I never saw this in all the years I was was working. I, I never saw anybody shoot a gun out of somebody's hand. <laughs> 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 I'm a pretty good shot, but I wouldn't count on doing that under the stress of a gunfight. I mean, I would never try to hit somebody in the hand. I'd want to do more to hit him in the hand. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> That's, yeah. Well, it, it happens in a lot of Westerns, but they weren't near as sophisticated. They only had uh, revolvers. They really didn't have any uh, semi-automatics. So you, you can right. appreciate they needed to get that gun out of their hand and, and on the ground as quickly as they could. So they just, well, let's just shoot it out of their hand. Right, right. <laughs> now, the, the one thing here, too, I mean, I, I understand law enforcement has changed since the, night, since the turn of the century to today, I mean, and, and, and beyond, back, you know, in the 1800s. Law enforcement has changed a lot, but today, I mean, I've never beaten a confession out of anybody. I've never known anybody that has beaten a confession out of someone. So when you see that on television, I mean, uh, today, that doesn't happen. Because all the, when, when interviews, now we, we call it an interview. You might want to call it an interrogation. Well, we talked about, you know, uh, the right to remain silent, and that's the best thing to do if you are arrested. And let your attorney work it out with law enforcement. And uh, But uh, but they always, right after arrest, no matter you know what the crime is, if it's a felony, they're going to bring you in and try to get you to talk. And uh, and so, but, it, but the thing is that everything, you know, the Miranda is read to the suspect, and it's signed by both the suspect and all the witnesses there. And then after the Miranda is done, if the person wants to talk, everything is used to. We just we would just audio record it, 
And now, uh, you know, the standard today is that everything is video recorded with audio. And, and, uh, and so pretty much every interview that goes on like that now is all recorded. So, I mean, you're not going to beat up anybody on camera. <laughs> and uh, and you're not going to go back and react to the you know, So now there are investigative techniques that we use, interviewing techniques that we would use to uh, you know, get the person. And I'm a, I won't go into that because I don't want to. I don't want to ruin that for the guys still out there working, and uh, but uh, but as far as you know, beating a confession out of a person doesn't happen. And uh, but uh, one funny thing, I, I have a good friend, Bob Faber. He's a retired Texas Ranger, and he oh, called oh, me did, this. Did you, you know, hear what they're trying to do to the Rangers? No. Change your What's name. That? To what? <laughs> I didn't hear the to what. Just they <laughs> want to drop the Texas Rangers. <laughs> And uh, really, yeah, and whoever, uh, well, I was talking to one of our military people, and uh, it just came over the news or something that uh, some idiot wants to do away with the Texas Rangers and or change her name. And I thought, you know, I've known too many Rangers, and they're the most, they're the best. What can I say? They're serious, they're serious people, they really are. Yeah. but uh, but yeah, did Bob favor that old buddy of mine? He said now he was a ranger. I guess Bob is probably getting close. He's in his eighties now. But so uh, and he got he started young as a as a trooper, became a ranger. So I guess back in the seventies, but sixties or late sixties, seventies. Uh, but he told me he said he said you know that they they would do a lot of cases where you know the uh, kidnapping cases. Uh, they would work serial kill orders. Uh, you know, pretty high pretty high level cases and they said when there was he said when there was exigent circumstances and uh they had to uh they had to get the information out of a person fast he said they wouldn't beat them but he said they cared they used to carry an old uh a, a milk can remember those little milk cans that they would ship milk in yeah and uh they would put it over the person's head and take a baseball bat and start beating that that uh <laughs> can with a baseball bat and uh, and they would so they used to do three or four licks of that, and they would tell you whatever you wanted to know. And uh, but like I say, the, the the problem was torture. I mean, is that that would be considered torture? I'm sure. Is that you know you don't always get good information. You just the person's going to tell you anything to make it stop. Yeah, yeah. The pain and, and the suffering is too much. That's the problem with torture. And then and two, it won't stand up in court. You know, if you're a cop, you ain't going to stand up in court. And uh, now I know that the intelligence agencies there's times they have to still use it. And uh, they, even though nobody's going to admit to it, it still goes on, and, uh, and mostly in the in the uh, mostly in waterboarding and, and that type of, uh, of uh, those techniques. And I won't go into a lot of detail on that either. But you know, there are times it has to be done. But but anyway, so that doesn't happen at the local law enforcement level here in the United States. So Correct. everybody can stop worrying about that. Correct me if I'm wrong, and this will be the second time I said it today. But uh, I had a. a one of my best friends lived across the street from a Texas Ranger that was friends of ours. And uh, as I recall, and this would be back in 1960, maybe, late 50s, early 60s, and, and it could have been right after Kennedy was assassinated, but I correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I'm pretty sure I'm right, that Texas Rangers were the first to be able to, to be issued and carry a three fifty seven, and this that probably this Texas yeah, this Texas Ranger took us out to uh, their range and showed us what a three fifty seven would do to a um, car motor, go right through it. And, right, uh, right. Uh, 
Yeah, the three fifty seven Magnus, I mean, there was that's that's a great round and uh and it you know, it was the for a lot of years, I mean when police officers were carrying but most police officers back in the seventies and eighties were carrying revolvers. And most of them were three to seven magnum because the unique thing about them, especially with a hollow point, is once they enter a, a body, uh, you know, they expend most of their energy inside the body cavity and they don't come out of the, in other words, you don't shoot through a person and, 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 and take the risk of hitting an innocent bystander with the, with the bullet passing through them. And, and two, I mean, they're, and they're such shock from the velocity that, uh, that it, uh, it, you know, it, 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 it capacitates them and causes internal damage. And, and it's, it was the best one shot stop, uh, bullet that, that law enforcement had for a lot of years. Now, there's a lot of the, uh, the new, uh, automatic ammunition that, that agents use, the plus P plus, and, and that, that's pretty close. But still, the 37 Magnum is still the king as far as I'm concerned when it comes to that. I mean, it really, if you ever, if you can just own one handgun, if that was, you know, you only want, only one, want to own one gun and get you a, a 37 Magnum because it'll also shoot 38 Special, which is a, a lighter load and, and uh, you can practice much cheaper to buy that. But when you want to protect yourself, like I say, you need to have you know, something that's going to stop someone that's trying to do damage to you. And the only problem with those 37 Magnums, though, is that they only had six shots and all the bad guys now are carrying, uh, you know, uh, uh, 12 high-capacity magazines yeah. and and, uh, and they're super, super loud. I mean, you shoot a damn 37 Magnum Magnum, and, and uh, you're not going to hear anything for a week, especially if you unload a, a soldier. And because they're, that, that high velocity is what is what makes them so loud. It's that crack when they when they break the uh, when they break the sound barrier. That is the, the sound that you're hearing is that is that crack, and uh, it, it will it's very very hard on the ears. And uh, but uh, so anyway, so now the one thing I've got to talk about because it's, whether we liked it in law enforcement or not, this affected what we did, especially when it came came time for trial was you see these shows like CSI Miami is the one that comes to mind first and I'm going to say this first okay crime scene personnel lab technicians okay they don't interview people and they don't make the case they're they are and, and I've never seen this happen maybe there's a jurisdiction somewhere where they where they get involved and actually make arrests but you don't have your scientists lab scientists running around making arrests and interviewing people that's what the police officers do and so what you see in, you know, uh, in, in shows like CSI Miami is that, you know, the lab technicians are doing everything. I wish they could all do it. And, uh, but most scientists and most of these people are scientists. They're, they have degrees in, in some form of uh, specialty and it's a science related field. They don't leave the lab for the most part. And so, so if you do see those guys out there, I mean, you're seeing something pretty unusual <laughs> because, because lab technicians Rarely, rarely ever leave the lab. And the only people that we would take to a, a crime scene or a search warrant, wherever it is we were we were uh, working that day, it might be one of our intel uh, people to go with us to help us, uh, you know, to help us uh, document, look up look up information for us, and uh, we would get them involved. But they would only come in after the situation, the scene was was safe, and there was no way they could get hurt. They're not trained law enforcement people. They have a specialty, but they're not law enforcement officers, and neither, neither are the technicians. And, and so, you know, the interesting it, thing, go ahead. It's still just uh, the lab folks. It's forensics, period. <laughs> right, right. And uh, but the interesting thing is that uh, you know, CSI Miami, what it did make us do in, in law enforcement is that 
you know, now I say people always really know what they see on television, and, and so the jury started expecting us to have the same level of evidence that they were seeing on these shows. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> videos and, and, I mean, all this stuff we had to start coming up with because that's what the juries wanted to see. So it, even though we didn't like it at the time because now we had to buy more equipment, hire more people, it made us do a better job. It really did. I mean, as far as really, you know, getting in there and, and measuring uh, where uh, pieces of evidence were within a room and, and really, photo, you know, using high-quality uh, photography and, and really doing a good job, you know, that did make us step, you know, not step up one notch, but several notches. And so, uh, so that was one. That was one good one thing. One good thing that, that television did for us is that, it, and for everybody in general, was, was make us do a better job. So, and uh, but anyway, so I'm trying to think what else. Uh, oh yeah, I had to wrote this down. Never at any time in my career did I ever jump onto a moving car. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, wait a second. Wait a second. How many times did you fly? As far as you mean, as far as flying an airplane? No, no. Jumping out of a building and flying to a safe oh. landing. <laughs> oh, I never. I can't fly. Or wait a so, second. Uh, wait a second. More realistic. How many times did you go crashing through a window? Well, that's one thing. Yeah, that's that's never a good idea either. You'll get cut. I can guarantee that'll happen. I've, I've seen I've seen people try to leave houses, jump through a closed window, and we usually had to have an ambulance come pick them up because they were, they were cut up pretty bad. And so uh, you got to remember those windows on on movie sets are made out of it's a, a real thin sugar uh, material that looks like glass, but it's not really glass. Yeah. And so they can do that and get by with it. But yeah, don't don't try that in real life. You, you won't win. That's that, that's that's for sure. Particularly if it's two stories up or three stories up. Exactly. <laughs> and so, uh, so along the same lines, okay, so now what I, I see a lot on these shows, like, uh, I'm trying to think Law and Order, and, uh, they're, you know, they've been out there forever, and they, they actually do a pretty good job. I mean, they, they try hard to show the relationship between the prosecutors and the police and, and try to look at every side of a crime, and I, I respect that. And, uh, and I, I, you can tell that they do have some law enforcement, uh, 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 counseling and, and advisement going on there, probably from retired cops and all. But but when a SWAT team is called in, or we or they call them SRT now, Situation Response Team, uh, when they're called in, everybody gets out of the way because these guys are trained. That's what they do. They go in and they they take down a dangerous situation. They secure a house. So I see a lot of times these detectives going in with a SWAT team, and that doesn't really happen. And so the SWAT team goes in, now, and they'll go in and they'll secure a, a, a building room to room. And you may have, and I've actually done this, I've been behind the SWAT team going through a, a, a building. And if they make an arrest, they put somebody down, we'd couple them and pull them out and get them out of the house. Because you want everybody out of the house as soon as possible so that nobody gets injured. You know, you want to, you make, we want to make it safe, you want to make it safe as fast as possible. But, uh, you won't see detectives going through the door with the SWAT team. That's, uh, that's a, uh, that's a that's a, a TV myth. Now, for the most part, like I said we didn't have a SWAT team a lot of the years that I was working, especially on the border. So we did all that ourselves. I, I went to the training and learned how to do all that, and, uh, and so we would we'd have multi agency, uh, you know, SWAT type teams that where we weren't officially a, a SWAT team, but we you know we'd all been to the training and we all worked together. And we'd always whenever we as an agent and then as a, as a supervisor, I'd always try to keep the most highly trained guys in my uh, in my office. 
and the different agencies on our, on our HIDA task force, I would try to have them set up to go in and, and secure the house first. But, uh, so, uh, but, you know, so we were, we were, we were jacks of all, all trades. And, uh, but, but in reality, I mean, the SWAT team, they, they, they operate, they're, they're, they're separate from the tech. Well, you know, this comes down to a point that it's, again, sort of militarily speaking, that uh, the SWAT teams train together, and you know what the guy on the right-hand side, you've trained enough that you know what he's thinking, he knows what you're thinking and how you're going to react, and the same way with a platoon or whatever it happens to be. And you've got your buddy's back, he's got your six, and you've got his six. There's a guy in front of you. And, And to pull somebody in that hadn't trained with you, like you said, that's such a sheer stupidity. Yeah, as a matter of fact, we had an agent shot out in uh, Alpine. It was several years ago, and the case was still going on when I was the uh, the the internal affairs uh, supervisor out in El Paso. And uh, our agent showed up in, in Alpine, Texas, at a high school, and they thought they had an active shooter. And uh, so, of course, you know, in Alpine, there wasn't a lot of agents, there weren't a lot of cops there, so they had to throw together a little team real quick. And so they had a deputy marshal came there. One of our guys went in there, and, and everybody that you know that they had like six or seven guys, and they you know they, you've probably seen them. They use a big shield now when they do entry to the building. And so the the marshal, deputy marshal, was gonna he was he was actually off duty and didn't even have a gun with him. And he came in and he was gonna take the shield and he borrowed a pistol from one of the deputies there. And accidentally, when he was messing with the uh, shield, shot our agent in the leg. So yeah, so I mean, so it happens. I mean, that's that's reality. That's why. So you're right. I mean, you don't do something like that unless you know you know the person with you because there's a good chance you might shoot each other, and that definitely happened in that situation. And, uh, and you know, it, it really messed the agent up. I don't know if he's back at work now or not, but it, he was. You know, gunshot wounds are much more devastating than you see. I mean, if someone doesn't, someone gets shot in the leg or the arm, I mean, they're not back at work in a couple of weeks. It takes a long time to recover from one of those. And if you ever do recover at all from it, and and then, and then on top of that, the psychological effect of it as well. And, well, uh, so we're we're going to have to put uh, the plug in the jug. I'm afraid our time has run out, Sandy. And uh, well, I have one last thing to say before we go. Okay, female Quit. detectives do not wear high heels. <laughs> I'll keep, in Russia. I see where in Russia. I'll Not keep that in States. mind. I'll keep that in mind. Okay, <laughs> we'll be back next week with more of our agent in charge. Thanks for listening. You're listening to America's Web Radio. Thanks, Sandy. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.